I'm Matt. I'm Annie AK. And I'm Melissa. And together we want to welcome you to Still Great, Bub. If this is your first time joining us, together we are watching AMC's Mad Men, trying to answer the question, is it still great, Bub? This week we are discussing Season 1, Episode 9, Shoot, written by Chris Provenzano and Matthew Weiner, and directed by Paul Fig. What? This originally aired September 13th, 2007. The number one movie at the box office that weekend was The Brave One, starring Jodie Foster. Coming in second was Mr. Woodcock, starring Billy Bob Thornton, Sean William Scott, and Susan Sarandon, which is definitely a movie that does not exist. Third slot (laughs) went to last week's number one, 310 to Yuma. The number one song in the nation that day, I guess that week, but that day specifically, on the charts was not Fergie's Big Girls Don't Cry, but Crank That by Soldier Boy. Which is also a song I have not thought about in a very long time. (laughs) Oh my god, that was so long ago. I think also out that week was, I want to say, Lars and the Real Girl, which was great. And the Jane Austen Book Club, also great. And no one has seen it. Damn. I haven't seen any of these movies. The Hairspray oh, movie also opened that weekend, too. Really? Oh, man, oh I've seen just bringing that. back some, some <laughs> college times. All right. In this episode of Mad Men, another agency comes to court in a dawn. Betty gets a job. Peggy gets her freshman 15. And everyone else generally kind of sucks. All right. So some kind of common themes that kind of want to track throughout our discussion are the ideas of satisfaction, contentment, and then the idea, I think, of like the gilded cage. And what I mean by that is kind of when when, you know, the pigeons and then and, and things like that and being being trapped and, and their contentment while they're while they're trapped and the trappings around them. So to start with, let's talk about Peggy, who we haven't gotten to spend a lot of time with yet in a bit. No, but I do really enjoy Peggy in this episode. I like I think that this is something we've always seen her do, which is kind of like stick up for herself or make space for herself. Um and I am not referring to her weight mm. on like some people in this episode. Um but especially talking about her conversation with Joan, but we don't need to skip over to that quite yet. Yeah. Uh, I I think it was in the last episode or the one before that where I did clock that, you know, she did look a little different than when the show first started. But, oh, it was so easy to just not bring it up because it's mm-hmm. not that important. But uh, it's kind of like it's it's clearly an intentional thing because you know there was like a um, dress ripping and the guys talking about it but they're all kind of awful and I don't want I don't like the idea of spending too much time talking about how awful they are because they don't deserve our attention do they no all these uh, little underling men are all trash every single one of them I do appreciate that when Peggy comes in with a sweater wrapped around her waist, immediately the other women just look at each other and they're like, this is a code bread. We all understand what's going on. Yeah. You go, you dispatch the help. We're going to surround and like enforce a perimeter. Are you having one of those days? (laughs) (laughs) I appreciated that. And, you know, Joan, who of course has a spare outfit around, just like, 
You can borrow my dress. It's fine. Don't do this thing, which is not great for your figure. Joan. Ugh. Yeah. Uh, Ken is particularly terrible about it, too. He just doesn't let up, even to the point where, like, even, quote, unquote, king of all the worst, Pete Campbell, finally reaches his breaking point, just, like, knocks one. Yeah, that's actually really great. I kind of hate that Peggy never actually finds out that that happens. I know. And does Ken even really find out why they don't, they just make up. They don't <laughs> discuss, like, why did you punch me in the face? <laughs> Matt, is this a man thing where just sometimes you just punch each other for no reason? I mean, sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but I think, like, it keys into something I think we've talked about with this group before and kind of the the performativeness of it, right? Like, I don't think Ken knows why Pete kind of sucker punched him, even though we know as as the audience kind of why. And even when they make up, when when Kinsey kind of, you know, puts his arms around them, like, pulls them apart and, you know, plays the, like, mediator hero role, it, again, is, is performative and basically... Kinsey doesn't say, hey, guys, get get your shit together. It's, hey, guys, get your shit together because you guys fought. I wasn't part of the fought, part of the fight, excuse me. And um, my chances tonight to have any kind of romantic connection with anyone <laughs> are now a detriment because of your display of machismo. So here I am playing peacemaker, shake hands so I can get back to um, a courtin', which I think definitely tracks with this group and i think what we know of of kinsey so far too because earlier in the season he's seems like the nicest of that that frat pack group and you know has that takes that that pass at peggy and we're like oh yeah he is kind of gross but he can kind of see that group for what it is but he's quite comfortable being there and i think that that's that's kind of interesting too and then in terms of like ken being the worst um it's interesting because when the, the, the whole group of them is, are sitting in the middle of the, like, typing pool, it's like, don't you guys have offices? Why are you meeting there and just hanging out? But anyways, um, he mentions, kind of, like, gives Peggy credit for what she did on the Belgelie account, but then immediately it's like he's overcompensating for the rest of the episode by being extra gross because no one else, like, wanted to give Peggy the the credit that, that Ken was doing. Mm-hmm. So... I don't, I think that entire group is the worst, full stop, period, and thought. But then, too, going back to the idea of personas and, and identity and, and who we are, who we, we, we try to be, and who we perform to be, I think the levels of performative machismo and, and kind of toxic masculinity with that group are just off the charts, and I don't think they're helping, well, anyone, so... Mm. it's kind of interesting though to see that weird blind loyalty at the very end you know which kind of contrasts to how the women were like we we need to protect peggy right now in this moment we've got a common uh, uh experience happening that we all understand um and as for like the performativeness joan lives up to that certainly though on the women's side but then you see her try to enforce that on peggy and right. it doesn't work because it doesn't like it literally doesn't fit on Peggy. You know, she's wearing Joan's clothing and Joan's clothing are completely made and fit to a very feminine 
um, femme fatale ideal. And it is so ill-fitting on her. It doesn't fit right. She's clearly so uncomfortable. It catches attention, but then it draws it to all the wrong places. Not that it's like physically unflattering, but then like it all it does is just like everyone look at me, which is what the dress is designed for. But that's not what Peggy wants people to look at her for. They want her to see her work and who she is and beyond the dress, not literally. Mm -hmm. The dress not fitting just goes uh, to another level. What I got from this episode with Joan and Peggy's interaction is that Joan just doesn't get Peggy at Mm -hmm. all. Um, All of her, I guess, go-to moves for office lady support aren't working. Um, You know, I don't know if it's iconic. I assume it would be Peggy saying, I just realized something. You think you're being helpful, which is true. Joan Mm -hmm. does, and she doesn't really understand why what she is trying to teach Peggy isn't really landing, but it's because those are the things that Joan would have needed in that scenario. She's not taking the time to actually get to know Peggy as a person, which is so interesting because we spent a lot of our last episode kind of talking about how we, the audience, don't really have the tools to analyze Peggy yet because we don't really know who she is outside of the context of, you know, her job at Sterling Cooper, and that's exactly the same for Joan. Mm-hmm. She, she says this thing, like, writing, like, I thought you were doing that to get close to Paul. Like, Joan, nobody wants Joan. Paul. <laughs> Don't worry, no. your cigarette lighter is safe. <laughs> like, it's fine. <laughs> You're the only one who has any use for him. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think Joan understands someone who's succeeding in this way that she didn't even conceive as possible, mm-hmm. let alone able to be done well. So it's kind of like sh- her her worldview is shook. So, I mean, when when everything that you kind of hold dear, you, you do kind of tend to, like, lash out a bit. But at the same time, you know, it's, it's probably also a little protective. She's got her, like, mama bird act kind of going on, which, you know, you know, it can be argued how disingenuous it really is. And she, and I just think it's funny that she offers this dress to Peggy, and Peggy's like, "No, nah, I don't want, I don't want this. Thank you." And I I do love that moment that she has that self aware that awareness in general, where it's like, "Oh, you think this is helpful? You think what you're doing is helping me, but you're missing the point." I in that moment, I kind of thought, "Oh my God, she is basically Betty's mom." You know, the way Betty, what you learn later, she's just constantly like, you have to look pretty. You have to be success, do well. You have to fit perfectly to land a man. That's your only goal. And once she starts, you know, and we'll dive into this later, when she starts going off having something like a job that's kind of independent, her mom just completely lashes out and is is completely unhappy with it, even though that is how she met a man through modeling. Mm. It's just, it's, it is like a, one of those signs that for as modern and like laissez-faire and sexual freedom times that Joan is, she's still very much rooted in these old-fashioned ideals. Yeah, and I, and I think it's interesting to the whole kind of, again, we talked about themes to the episode of like, you know, contentment and, and satisfaction and things like that. And 
and I mean, we'll, we'll talk about it a bit more when we get into kind of Don and, and the, the professional courtship that, that he's a part of, but the, but the episode, and I can't remember who says it. And I kind of went back to my notes and I don't think I, I wrote it down or I can't find it right now, but the idea of like the unknown and, and, and seeking out and whether that's a good or a bad thing, or, you know, trying to, to reach out or kind of stay with what, you know, and Joan says to, to Peggy when they're having that, that conversation that Joan knows exactly what, men think of her and kind of where she stands and i and like is she comfortable in that is there contentment in that is she satisfied with that like i don't know but in that moment in that interaction with peggy she's like i know where i stand and 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 you don't and i can't figure you out no one can figure you out and it's like that's an issue um so i think that's interesting it's kind of like different forms of power. The fact that like Joan knows what expectations are on her and that she can play with them and navigate them without kind of like shaking things up. But, you know, Peggy's got her own thing too. The fact that she is this like new thing and is fairly aware of it, which could probably, which seems to be going a little bit to her head, admittedly, as it should. Um, It throws everyone off. And now, you know, when the status quo kind of gets shaken up, people don't always react super well to it like when the civil rights moment movement came up and suddenly you had like a lot more confederate statues in the country i mean we are in a time of of change in the country and society it's definitely a transition but i guess that could be said about most periods in time yeah, no, that's that's interesting, and not to get too far down this this rabbit hole ne- or potential rabbit hole necessarily, but we do tend tend to think of like the '60s as as this time of like major social change and upheaval, and like yeah, they were, but at the same time, when we think of quote unquote the '60s, it's not so much 1960 to 1970. We're thinking more like '60. 365 to like 73 74 something like that right so every any time is like a time of change and upheaval and it's like yeah no it's interesting i i agree yeah well i mean it's not unlike uh the pat was it just the previous episode or the one before it when uh roger was having dinner at with the drapers and everyone's talking about their different wars that define their own generation basically and how all these different perspectives are butting up against each other. And things aren't quite reconciling between them. But it's just a mark of how things pass and change. But also stay the same. That's annoying. Yeah, well, it's like I have this whole um, theory, take, response or whatever. But like on the Genesis song, Land of Confusion, and how it's all about like generational change and like the world's so messed up and we're going to use these hands and and make it right and then you have all the various like covers like the disturbed cover of that song coming like a generation later and the videos are very different but there's still like a response to like the political state at the time and yet that kind of perpetual struggle is kind of universal and like it changes but it doesn't change so yeah peggy being the young one being one of the youths in the office uh just not just new to the office but being a young adult who's like finding herself outside of her family life whatever that may actually be if we ever find out more about it she's kind of uh, emblematic of that change in the show um she's more of the personification she's the millennial she's the personification though 
of uh, all the change while everything else is just sort of everyone else is just kind of like feeling the weight of the past and how their natural urges to to evolve and to grow but also to rail against it so it is it is interesting watching peggy in this environment where everyone keeps pushing back against all the change no and it's interesting when you point that out because i listened to an interview with elizabeth moss on the uh, little gold men podcast where she was interviewed by their their senior film critic richard lawson and they're mostly talking about her smell which is a movie that rolls um we but stand. Na- yeah, we stand a legend yes. right. um but near the end of the interview they're talking about Mad Men a little bit and moss says how she always played peggy as i'm trying to remember i'm paraphrasing so don't call me go back to listen to the interview because it's great um but she played Peggy on Mad Men, not necessarily as as a woman of of the nineteen sixties, um, but kind of as a woman out of time or a woman of like any time too. So that's interesting to kind of go through that because so much of what happens to her seems kind of rooted in that change that's going on around her. That's really lovely. That's lovely because I mean we do forget in the past people were also just people. They weren't necessarily this like idealized version where they were totally content with the times and with their positions yeah. in life because i mean someone had to push all the change that has happened yeah it's like mm. when you watch a pre-haze code like old movie or whatever and it's like oh this is like actually like really kind of dirty it's like yeah yeah no like sex existed then we just pretended we didn't talk about it for 50 <laughs> years after that right um slightly unrelated um i watched the there, the the last book that Jane Austen was working on before she passed away uh, was a book called Sanditon. It was generally unfinished. I think she had a lot of the story and a lot of the characters sketched out by then. But they have made into a PBS, I think BBC collaborative miniseries. And one of the characters is is uh, um, is uh, is half black. She's slave. She her mother was a slave. And I loved the actress whose name is escaping right me right now. She's like. Yeah, no, it's not like we're just throwing it in there just to be some sort of like gay diversity kind of thing. It actually was part of the story. It's the characters existed at those times. Black people were kind of a thing then, too. <laughs> yep. so that's, all. that's awesome. Keep going. Highly recommend it when it comes out in January. And that's your Jane Austen drop for the day. Pete Campbell. All right. Do we have to? I mean, he punches Ken directly in the face. I think we should spend at least a little time. Let's give him that one. Because, like, on the surface, you're like, okay, Pete, punch kid in the face. He's a shitbag. And then, in, like, the same exact thought, like, wave, you're like, oh, I mean, it's not like you're really defending Peggy's honor. What you're really doing is defending your own own behavior. Because you're like, don't talk shit about people who sleep with Peggy, because I do it. So you're still the worst. Yep. Even though I like to see Ken get punched in the face, I have literally zero of my doubt to give to Pete. <laughs> it would have been better if it was like Dawn. <laughs> if we then... watch all of Mad Men and don't see Dawn punch someone in the face, <laughs> this will have been a disappointment. <laughs> I think if he punched Dawn, if Dawn punched Ken, he probably would have died. It's just Pete, would... though. Could have been laid the fuck out. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if Don's a puncher so much as a like you know pay the the elevator operator to to lie and make Roger oh, go up all the stairs. I know. 
<laughs> I think he's got it in him. He's just got to be really, really pushed to the edge. He has to be really desperate and thrown off his game. I think he has it in him. Maybe I just want to see John Ham punch someone. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Uh, no, yeah, For at first it seems like, oh my god, this is Pete actually being something, being someone stand up. This is showing, him showing anything remotely resembling affection towards Peggy, as opposed to just like, she is a prop who is here to hold me up and make me feel better and to make my ego feel good. But at the same time, it's still like, mm, this is kind of just an ego thing and she is just kind of your property in your mind anyway, so maybe I should give you less credit than I want to. Yeah, and I don't think... I mean, of course, it's intentional. It's the way the episode was written. But, like, that violence and that, that interaction happens after Pete's terrible to his secretary, right? So, mm. like, I think Melissa is right on the money when it's it's not about defending Peggy's honor. It's about defending his own because he's slept with her twice now, right? So... Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that needs to be, like, a cool thing to do. Mm-hmm. He can't let people think it's, like, not cool to sleep with Peggy. And no one questions, like, oh, why did, like, after the initial, why did you punch me? No one questions that, like, hey, I wonder if it's related to something he said. I wonder why it's Peggy. Why would you just punch someone? It's just cool. It's a thing that just happens. Go ahead. Fine. Yeah, in the office, even. It was, I mean, I know it was intentional, but it was a funny shot of the the boys messing around in the back. And once again, the grown-up men are just like, hmm. Oh, it's business as usual. No one in that office gives a shit. Yeah, this is acceptable chaos of just men getting out their feelings. with. Yeah, they're like, well, somebody let the children out of their cage, so. Yeah, that was... That shot was like one perfect shot, like material. Mm. It was, it was, yeah. It was like a Renaissance painting. It was perfect. (laughs) (laughs) But it is awful how that is like, yeah, sure. That's just acceptable. It's a thing that happens and we're totally cool with it. It is really striking. Yeah. I do want to give a special shout out to Hildy because it must really suck to be Pete's secretary. And Hildy um, deserves so much better. She does. And, like, I've seen Julie Nev- uh, Niven in something else where she just plays a bad, total badass with, like, jeans and a gun or a knife. I don't know, one of those things. She just takes no shit from anyone. And she doesn't really seem super keen to take it here either because when Pete tells her to put do something about that sourpuss, she's so pretty. And she just stares at him with that continued look of, you're so gross and I don't like you and I want to leave. I, I appreciate I that. When he's like, come have a drink, and she's just like, nah. Hell yeah, Hildy. And she doesn't need this to validate who she is as a person. She knows who she is. And she's not about to be lured to this weird viper's den. Yeah, and I don't see Joan all over her ass. Which is weird, because she's uh, kind of like a... Like a... Joan 2.0, like, looks-wise, aesthetically. She could easily play into that. Mm Mm-hmm. Good for you, Hildy. Or maybe she came in and Hildy was just like, this is a job. I'm here nine to five and then I'm leaving. I'm not participating in this mess. And then Joan was like, I mean, okay, if you're not going to participate, I don't need to mold you because you're just going to be here and then leave. But when Peggy came in, she, I guess, was putting off more of a vibe of like, I'm going to insinuate myself into the happenings. (laughs) 
Hildy was at that party though where they were celebrating uh Peggy's copy being used. Oh, well. She's just doing it all on theory. her own terms. That's mm-hmm. all. Good for you, Hildy. I'm sorry, Pizza. Or and I guess since she already looks the way Joan would have them look, she doesn't mm-hmm. need. Hmm. I mean, for all her ambition, Peggy does give off this more vulnerableness mm-hmm. to her. Someone who needs to be protected, but also needs to break free. I mean, it's it's complicated, and it, and it's definitely a mix, but I think that's definitely where it started with the Joan, where Peggy probably needed more help. But I think, too, Joan, we're talking about kind of how she uses systems, but then at the same time perpetuates those systems, whereas Peggy maybe wants to... Break the wheel, shall we say? Yeah, 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 right? And Joan's like, well, no, you can't do that. Like, right? Like, you need to, like, you know, act a certain way and have certain codes of behaviors that need to be followed. And, and maybe Kildy is better about code switching or, or something like that than, than Peggy is willing to do as she gets past her, her wide-eyed stage and wants to kind of flex a bit more. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's part of it for, for Joan. I don't know. Very complicated, our Joan. With so little that she's given. I don't think Pete's outburst is also just about Peggy anyways. As we said before, a lot of it seems to be ego stuff. And we saw him and, and the other boys talking about Don being chased after by Hobart and McCann. Was it McCann International? Something like that. And when they talk about salary they're like they're offering him like 35,000 a year i heard he already makes 30 and pete like the most petulant boy ever she's like he's not worth 10 times more than i am no one i mean they've all known each other for a while no one really lets him have that they're just kind of like mm, but you like love don yeah like if don left pete would probably follow him probably have hildy send a message being like hey do you have any openings <laughs> yeah Ah, oh, Don. For for as hard a time as it is, we have sometimes liking Don and understanding him. This is some good, good Don. This is a good Don. This is the guy that Don thinks himself as. Right. And sometimes it's not just the what the 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 outfit that he puts on or the the exterior that he puts on this is actually who he is probably at his core he's loyal he he wants gratification and um satisfaction and pride in his work and and he is actually a good he can, he has it in him to be a good husband and a good father yeah i yeah it's also I, really hot <laughs> so I see all of those things and I don't I don't disagree but I like I'm having like both times I watched the episode I kind of came up with with like a different response because like mm-hmm. I, I wonder how much how much of his support for you know Betty wanting to, you know, try modeling again and, and, and things like that. Um, and then his when that falls through because um, McCann Erickson was just using her as a pawn to to court Don and they weren't two individual courtships. It was all part of Don's courtship. Um, when that all ends, 
Don says some really nice and supportive things, which I think he genuinely means about wishing he he had had a mother like like Betty and and I mean we saw what his his stepmother was like with him last week in the in the flashbacks and things like that but like I just keep going back to the birds right and the idea of like the doves and when you train them it's like you you have your your cages or your coops or whatever you fly them out you loan them out to you know jump out of cakes and stuff like that but then the idea is that they're always returning back to the back to the coop after flying it and testing, you know, around the wings because they come back because that's where they're safe, that's where they feel secure, and, like, that's where the neighbor who is terrible to um, Sally and Bobby has all their food and stuff, right? So, like, how much is Don actually being supportive and how much of it is knowing she'll come back so it's not, he's not actually risking anything and saying his mind or saying, I don't agree with it or, or no, this is just about me it's not not about you because he knows or suspects or anticipates that the dove will return or the pigeon excuse me as betty points out the pigeon will return to its cage i don't know yeah i think it is kind of telling that he goes into this supportive speech after he finds out that well as far as he, quote unquote, knows, Betty has made a decision not to go forward with the modeling. And I think that we all kind of know that really she was let go from this job because of Don. And whenever it was happening, he, he says to her, you know, this has nothing to do with you. And I think we're all kind of like, well, of course mm. it doesn't because the world fucking revolves around Don. Well, because when Don calls Mr. Hobart and says that he's turning down the offer, Hobart says to him, I'm sorry to lose the both of you. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's pretty clear to Don that the decision is probably related to him. And you can see him processing it when Betty doesn't tell him the truth about what really happened. I I think it's pretty clear that he's he doesn't like it and he's doesn't super hide it from from Betty when she says she wants to do it. But. He doesn't do anything to make her feel bad about it, uh, which yeah. is a low bar to be like, oh, that was a nice thing to do. I'm like, that's that's a re- really low expectation and standard for anyone. Um, well, we've seen him make her feel bad about, you know, we've seen her shame her. We've seen him, excuse me, shame her in other scenarios. So I don't right. think it would be. I like it was brave of of Betty, I think, in the first place to even say, like, this is something that I want to do. Mm-hmm. And Especially even, after dancing around it. Yeah, and even give him the chance. Like, I feel like it was probably nerve-wracking for her to even go out on the limb and, like, tell him this is something I want to do because we've seen the way that he reacts to things like her being civil at dinners mm-hmm. <laughs> when he's present. It's a little... Let alone heartbreaking when she's like oh i want to do this thing oh it's just gonna be a few hours anyway it's not gonna affect anything it's a little mm-hmm. sad because she just like automatically no like she's preemptively being like oh it's gonna be fine it's gonna be fine it's not gonna change your existence and don says all the right stuff with like i don't care about you know you washing my shirts and this dinner is yeah. still great even though you barely put it together I mean, it is possible that he's aware that this could all blow up in her face and she'll come back, but that's not necessarily a selfish 
bad thing anyways i mean that's kind of something that you would consider a good parent doing for their kids being like okay you're gonna take this risk you quietly thinking you may come back but at least you know that you can come back and i'm not gonna make you feel bad for it that's not necessarily a bad thing yeah oh like and what i what i wanted to originally say that i didn't ever get around to which is you know, per mm-hmm. usual, but is that I'm glad that Don gives her this supportive speech about how, she, you know, she has a job and she excels at it and it might not be modeling, but it is mothering these tiny children that they made. I'm glad that he gives her that speech after it's all said and done and he didn't weaponize that as a way mm-hmm. to keep her from experimenting with modeling again in the first place because I think that he could have easily you know, pulled that card out of his pocket beforehand to try to guilt her into staying home in the first place. It is, it's almost feministy for him to be all like, no, this is still an important thing and you shouldn't feel like a failure because you're still very successful in your own way. Even if it is kind of like, all right, Don, you just fine. It's fine. Well, and I think that it's a little, I mean, it is a really nice, it's a gracious, they are both be doing like very nice and gracious things for each other in this Mm -hmm. scene and I think like she is protecting him by not saying like I lost this not not saying like I know that you know that I know that I (laughs) lost this job because of you and he is doing a gracious thing by letting her you know say yeah, letting her say that, oh, I, I decided this on my own. Like, he's giving her that. If that's comforting to her, that's great. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't have to be like, or he understands enough to know that it's not going to make her feel better to say like, oh, well, this, you know, you didn't have a choice in the matter in the first place. Like, that's mm-hmm. not what she needs at that point. So while I think he is, he is comforting her in a way to make himself feel better because it is his fault that she lost something that she wanted. I think that they're having this conversation with as much grace as possible. Even my first reaction is like, everybody should be honest about all the things. <laughs> but if we're not going to do that, I think this is a good second best. Oh. For once, their secret keeping is for each other. I do uh, hate that people are like, j- I just constantly remember how people are like, this was the perfect role for Jane Marie Jones because she's such a limited actress. This fits into her style a lot more. But we had two moments that I just really stood out to me um, as Betty, especially someone who is like tries to be as self-contained and, and self-controlled as Betty. Like, her just her whole reaction to being told that she's lost a job when like you keep seeing this like absolute despair on her face trying to break through and when the guy finally walks away you just see her little like the the, the chin quiver and everything and and just still keep trying to rein it all in and i think she does such a magnificent job with that and then how cute and proud she is when don's like this doesn't this this is a i know you're trying to you know uh self-deprecate with this whip together meal it doesn't taste whipped together and she's just like i know it's pretty good she's just know, so right? sweet and proud because she's like this is what she knows how to do and she's doing it super well and someone acknowledges it and that is what she needs sometimes and like honestly it is a job you're killing it i do not have two children to take care of and i can't get dinner on the table to feed my two. own stomach <laughs> so two dumb kids Two dumb, beautiful kids. 
and the dog that her and husband got on an impulse after he left the, the birthday party. Has Don interacted with that dog one more time? I don't think uh, so. One time I think it fell asleep at his feet. Oh. It's like, remember me? Oh, um, before we move on from that one conversation, um, when he says, like, I wish that I would have had a mother like you, is that mm-hmm. the most Don has ever told Betty about his childhood or his past? I wondered about that, too. I think so far, yes. Yeah, I was waiting for Betty to react to it, but I think she was too Oh, she knows better. She's just yeah. going to tuck that away in her Dawn file, fit it in with all her other pieces she has. <laughs> but, I mean, she told us in the first, well, it was the second episode of the show, but our first time, like, you know, hanging out with her, she said, like, I know better than to ask Dawn about his past. Mm-hmm. So you she is pry. just a little, a little Joan-like squirrel fittering away all of these pieces <laughs> of information the way Joan keeps her extra dress. How do we feel about uh, Betty and her relationship with her therapist, who is uh, still in her life? I I really enjoyed her calling him out for not speaking to her. (laughs) And like, yeah, if you were being a more active part of this therapy, I think that maybe Betty wouldn't have pushed back against your like one thing you've ever said. Like, I'm he's not a good therapist. Was he wrong, though? I I don't think he was wrong. I think that his method of never talking until you're going to do, like, the one most hard-hitting thing. Like, yeah, of course she's going to be like, fuck you, (laughs) bruh. He doesn't approach it with a lot of grace. Like, you have not earned the right to come for me in this direct of a manner. (laughs) I do wonder what, what he says to Don about that afterwards. Yeah, I mean, I think that Betty's reaction is maybe not proof but is telling enough to let us know that like hey yeah we have we have struck on something that is true and the reason she has such a strong reaction to it is because it's a feeling that she has been holding on to and feeling shame about it's a feeling that she's never been allowed to have before i think that betty is is struggling with the idea that you can hold two equally true strong emotions about one thing or one person at the same time. You're allowed to both miss your mother and be angry at the damage that she did to you while she was here. Those two things are not mutually exclusive. And those are both big strong feelings and we know that Betty has never had the opportunity to work through that before. And even the most well-adjusted person seeing their good therapist will have, you know, have a hard time holding two opposing things that are both so important and so big and real in your life. There's a lot of mother issues happening here. I mean, for as much as we talk about masculinity and all that stuff, Don had his difficult mother relationship Mm -hmm. and... Then you have, you know, we always hear these bits and pieces of Betty and her mother. And then we have Dawn telling her, no, you are a good mother. Even though she's just like, "Uh, my mom told me to be pretty so I can get a man. And now that I have a man. But then what? Mm. Sit around and smoke, which we do see her do later on. That seems like a pretty good, uh, I guess, treasure chest of potential to deal with for her. Yeah, I think, you know, 
hopefully Betty's therapist is good enough to actually do this work, but it does seem like they have finally gotten to the place of finding what work they need to do. And mm-hmm. then what? Like, I was pretty. I found a man. Here I am. All the things that were goals I've accomplished and what, you know, it's like that would be the epilogue if Betty was the chosen one in the Harry Potter (laughs) storyline. Like, No, I thought it was really telling when they were at the opera and they met the Hobarts and uh, Jim says to Betty, you remind me of or you look a lot like Grace Kelly. Have you ever heard that before? And she says they used to or they used to say it. I was like, okay. So she's she's in this place where she's still trying to figure out who she is. And of course she gets excited to harken back to her pre-dawn days when people were doing all these crazy things, like making these dresses for her and telling her how beautiful she is. How do we feel about, about how excited Betty was and talking about being young and um, being this model that people wanted to work with and then... You know, life takes a turn because Don took, you know, turned his focus on her. So a couple things, but to start, let me answer your question with another question of my own. The exchange, the conversation between Betty and Francine, did we feel like there was a dynamic or tone shift or, or potential power shift in that exchange based on the other scenes we've had with, with Francine and Betty? Francine does tend to control the conversations when she's around. Also, still pregnant. I think you're right. And Betty's clearly feeding off of it because she does seem, like, energized and excited. And she pulls out that line, I used to be a model, you know? It's like people who are, like, in their 30s and they're like, oh, yeah, I, I, I was scouted for pro ball when I was in college. Oh, that made me think of, because it's the holidays now, um, the movie Just Friends, when they go to, like, the hometown bar and there's, like, the old jock guy and he's, like, drinking beers and bumming $5 off of people and he's still wearing his Letterman jacket. Oh, no. And you're like, buddy. <laughs> Move on. Figure out who you are beyond that. It is it is the thing that kind of gave her value, right? And that's how she viewed the world because her mother, like, only saw her value in her looks. But then, yeah, but what's interesting is, like, as we were talking about before with the, the therapist, it's like, so that was what Betty was taught was important, so she becomes a model, and that's still not good enough for her mom, right? Betty's mom and Ken Crosgrove, the worst of this episode. Like, you're going to instill in your daughter that the only things that are important is, like, being beautiful, and then she gets a job capitalizing on that beauty, and you're like, oh, you're a prostitute. Lady, What? It's so sad. And it's, like, so obvious that Betty was like, oh, I thought that this job paying me actual dollars, capitalizing on the one thing you wanted me to have, like, you can tell that, like, Betty was like, oh, I thought this was, like, a logical conclusion to, like, all the things that you have told me that were important. But, like, okay, I guess. I can make money off of this. Yeah. Like, no, that's what makes you a prostitute, I guess. And then she said she'd only gotten like three or four jobs after uh, meeting Don, who admittedly, very good, overt, uh, uh, what do you want to call it? Display. 
sounded real good. Um, only a few, and before they were engaged, and then she got pregnant, and then you know trying to raise kids in the city and all that stuff. And her, it just seemed like boom, boom, boom. This one moment just changed her entire life course mm-hmm. in the blink of an eye, and she suddenly felt very so old. And you know you can sense the regret there. Doesn't that just sound like Don though? That it, fucking like th- three dates later they're they're engaged and it's just like it just it it's and maybe it's because you know it was the just the last episode but when he gets that that bonus that comes up again um this episode that we now know was given to Don as as potential armor against being poached by someone from from McCann Erickson or any of the other bigger advertising agencies um he gets that that bonus and runs to Midge and like hey let's run away to Paris impulsive excited he's energized he wants to run he wants to do something and it's like i can see younger don doing that he he's copyrighted his fur company he meets betty she turns him down he gets the coat he gives it to her three dates later they're engaged and pregnant like that's do they even like know each other (laughs) no like like, right like (laughs) I don't think that was like a qualification for marrying anyone, as we like saw with Pete. He was surprised that his wife was funny. Yeah, yeah. So that just that's what that's what stuck out for for me about we kind of got some more insight into the idea of like I mean, as Don's being courted by McCann, McCann Erickson, and we get Betty telling Francine her her and Don's courtship story, and it just totally tracks with like who are finding out Don slash Dick, whatever you want to call him to be, right? And so that all happened so quickly, and no wonder you feel like you don't know who you are. And, like, they're both so relatively young, and I think that's what's one of the things that's I'm seeing in a different light than when I when I watched it, you know, when, when I was not relatively the same age as the characters. Um... But like you go through kind of so much, and granted, like things change and and milestones change and markers change and stuff like that as as time goes on. But once you become an adult legally, you do so much more growing after that. And like I think with a lot of with a lot of couples, they they find ways to kind of yes, they learn who they are, you know, and meet each other, and then and then grow together. But I don't I don't know if I've necessarily seen that with with Don and Betty and like they didn't even really get to know each other much before and now they're they're married and 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 parents and you know moving and it's just no wonder you suddenly feel so old and don't know who you are partially because your husband <laughs> has reinvented his identity and you don't know that but like <laughs> it just that just kind of intensifies i think something that even they would have been feeling anyways right so mm. I love that you create a parallel between Don getting that bonus check and Betty getting this job because both of them not aren't necessarily like pieces of freedom offered to them it just kind of reminds them of the cages that have been built around them and that they themselves have helped to build because at some point you do forget the the boundaries and limitations you've set upon yourself and that the world is set upon you and they both kind of react in different ways. Don just did not react well, to say the least. And um, Betty just kind of quietly was just like, I'm, I'm going to give this a shot. I'm going to take a step out there. I like to think she had like some kind of growth and change out of this in her in her moment. Um, it's funny because 
up in, in you know, the past, I don't know, couple, I want to say a couple years, but probably like the past decade, I've always thought of like adulthood, being an adult is being aware of how much you need to learn, how much you need to grow even. And being a youth is mostly thinking that you're a grown up now, you can do whatever you want. But like you said, Matt, there's like this kind of arrest development between the two of them where they're just like, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Everything is fine. I'm ignoring all these urges um, that are having me kind of to that just are restless and happy with my circumstances, even though I should be happy with what they are. I mean, I think for me personally, the moment I started feeling as an adult was when I was listening to Spring's, Spring Awakening and stopped relating to the, the, the youthful angst and started feeling nostalgic about the youthful angst. But like, you know, <laughs> that, that musical wasn't out yet. So yes, you're 100% correct. Oh, for Don and, Lord. For, for Don and Betty. Currently listening or rewatching uh, My So-Called Life with the podcast, The Boiler Room. And... While there's a lot of like, oh, I totally relate to Angela Chase, mostly I'm just thinking about her mother, Patty, and how the world is so unkind to her. And why wouldn't you guys just give her a break? Because she's trying really hard and she's a human being, too. Yeah. Melissa, what about you? Where's, where's, your head at, where's your head at right now? Well, for one, I was like really excited to even figure out how Betty and Dawn met each other. Mm. And... I love that it was, like, Dawn doing, like, an extremely Dawn thing, which is, like, oh, I noticed that that pretty girl wants that jacket. I'm gonna send it to her house. Like, okay, well, now you're married, of course. He found out where she lived. Creepy. Also, very Dawn. (laughs) Very, but in a lot of ways, kind of chivalrous and princely, which is what Dawn likes to think himself as. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, oh, if I'm creepy for the end game of, like, doing this, like, super cute gesture that this girl's going to lose her shit over, it's totally fine. It kind of only works because he looks like Don Draper. It's good to know he was always Don Draper, though. (laughs) Except when he was Dick Whitman. Except for when he was Dick Whitman, yeah. Um, (laughs) I do appreciate, though, that, like, how he still always just has to do, real low-key, do the utmost... I guess if you're going to yeah. derail someone who looks like January Jones from a huge modeling career where designers are throwing free clothes at her, you have to do the utmost. I mean, yeah, and he's just lucky that Betty's one thing her mom instilled in her was, like, find a man. Like, if Betty would have not had that mother, she would have been like, thank you for the jacket, next. <laughs> <laughs> I got everybody out here giving me jackets. Homies heard- designing me clothes. Have we heard anything about how um, uh, Betty's mom feels about Don? I don't think so. No. Hmm. Oh, that'll be fun. It has That'd to be, interesting. be coming, right? I hope so. Because I mean, like, as far as like platonic ideal of men at that time, especially for for women like Betty's mom, he probably ticked all the boxes. He's very pretty. He's so he has handsome. A good job. So handsome. But he didn't have that good of a job when they met. He was, like, just doing whatever he was doing at the time. Um, But getting back to the original question, how I feel about Don and Betty going forward, I really like to think that they have came to, like, a new place in their relationship where even though it wasn't, like, expressly stated that they 
how this whole thing came about. Betty got this job because of Don. She got fired because of Don. She protected Don. He protected her. He, like, let her do her own thing. Like, I hope that this is, like, a moment of coming together for them and that they are going to, like, go forward from this moment understanding each other a little bit better and, like, hopefully being on more of the same team which I they I I'm not saying that they aren't on the same team other than the times that Don is like sleeping with and courting other women that's not great look um but hopefully within their relationship they are going forward from more of a place of mutual understanding and support and respect like hopefully was this yeah yes I agree thank you is this the first time we've seen Don and Betty be like intimate like, 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 okay, no, like, physically, anyways, like, when she comes home from the, the modeling gig and goes, you know, they're in the, the living room and doesn't, Don doesn't want to go upstairs and they forget to close the blinds. So, I mean, interesting. <laughs> I uh, don't, did they forget or did they just not? That's fair enough. Fair enough. Um, but I was trying to remember, had we seen them be, like, because we've had intimate moments, like, commuting back from the city in, in the car and, you know, they've been kind of close that way but is this the first time we've seen them kind of would don be sexual with his wife i'm trying to remember i think, I think so we've seen once okay or am i thinking about that scene where they got they were they came home drunk they come home drunk but they don't get very far because betty sleeps in her freaking diamond ass necklace and her <laughs> face of makeup right and then the other times we've seen betty like initiate sex but it like doesn't go anywhere because mm-hmm. yeah. we get that real frustrating air conditioning thing mm. that I'm not over I and was I... struck by how very good she was at seducing Don a very tired looking Don uh, so it... I was a little stressed that he was going to like turn her down and I was going to come through my TV <laughs> <laughs> not gonna be happy my feelings were very hurt by that other episode and like i was not gonna be okay (laughs) no he seemed fine with with her reaction to getting this job yeah they're great i mean see this is the type of don draper shit like now i'm so on his side and i love them and i love their relationship and if he is out here showing up at rachel mankin's house with a jacket next episode i I feel like a yo-yo. <laughs> this is our eternal problem with Don. Um, I mean, <gasps> since we're talking about cages and everything, I think this is kind of a good example for both of them. They both have these moments together where it's actually really good and it's everything it's supposed to be. It's really satisfying. They get the joy of getting to support each other and being supported by the other person. And, you know, obviously they enjoy each other physically. Um, and they're both beautiful and they both seem to love their kids in in the best ways they know how and it kind of there's not a moment where they're like well obviously i can't stay in this situation i gotta get out of here because we we have some good times and we're like a nice married couple and it's so frustrating to see sometimes to see their happy moments because you're like this makes all the other moments hurt Mm -hmm. do you guys still think they're good for each other or bad for each other overall (sighs) I just hope we're working on it. I just, if I could, took anything from this relationship in this episode is that, like, there is an opportunity for them to come into a really strong and really, I think, healthy relationship 
let's quit calling the therapist. <laughs> let's have your wife come to you with her issues on her own. But I, I think that there is potential. Like, I'm not writing off the possibility that they could have, like, a really good, healthy relationship. But, like, as it stands right now, like, this is still all surface level. Don has two girlfriends. Do you see them taking this opportunity then? Either of them. Oh, I don't know. It's season one. <laughs> There's so much show left. <laughs> There's so much show left. But there is a lot of show in the first season itself, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, I hope so. I just, like, I don't know. I've probably not. Like, I just, you know, Betty's still struggling a lot doing the work in therapy and... I think that she's going to, like, hide a lot of that, like, ugly, quote-unquote, work from Don, and I just don't see Don being in a place to, like, let go of all his other, like, activities that he's doing, because I don't think that he's in a healthy enough place to, like, what we were talking about last week, like, actually really settle down, like, he's still doing that, like, um, like, traveling man not getting too close to anyone thing hmm. so I assume he's just gonna like pop off and go immediately in the other direction and like you know start actively courting Rachel Macon again because he got too close to Betty in this episode <laughs> Matt how do you feel about Don as a man how do I feel about Don as a man as, mm -hmm. as a human being uh living in a patriarchal society with the idealized version, trying to play, you know, the idealized version of a man compared to the little boys that he works with as the husband and father that he is, etc. You've got five minutes. Well, let me do what I did earlier and let me answer your question with another question of my own. <laughs> <laughs> what seems to keep Don at Sterling Cooper is when Jim Hobart sends... The, model, the pictures from the Coca-Cola campaign of McCann Erickson of Benny's modeling and basically like, hey, she looks great, call me, or, or, or whatever. Oh. Explicitly making what could have been two streams, one stream, and this whole Betty's newfound kind of confidence or her renewal that, that we've seen and, and Don's probably seen too and has been various levels of supportive of, it's actually about Don. Before he calls... Hobart back he marches into Roger's office and says I'm staying and they have a conversation I want to talk about here in a bit but I guess my question to you Annie then you Melissa as well while I synthesize my answer to the first question is is that Don defending Peggy's honor is that his equivalent of punching Ken Cosgrove in the face is choosing to stay at Sterling Cooper or is that is that Don not liking how Jim does business and it's not actually about Betty? Or, or what do we think about that? Is that his equivalent of Pete punching Ken in the face earlier in the episode? That is a really good point. Because at first I kind of was starting to suspect that when Don got the pictures and he was like kind of afraid of how good that Betty actually was... And maybe he was just like, listen, neither of us can go there. But that, but he does say he likes how Roger does business. And I, which isn't, 
shady and manipulating Mm -hmm. his wife. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Roger, I, for as terrible as Roger can be in moments, you don't see him trying to manipulate someone like that. Hmm. I honestly don't know because I can make a case either way. And that's kind of why I'm asking the question. Melissa, what do you think? Uh, Dawn's hard to pin down. Um, I did also kind of have the thought that like maybe Dawn enjoys being a big fish in a smaller pond. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He would be in charge of more people, but... He, people, more people would be in charge of him. Yeah. Yeah. Roger did say to him that, you know, because they're beholden to all these other things that he wouldn't even be able to fire clients and he knows that Don would hate that. Don is able to get a significant raise with no contract. Jim tells him when they when he gives him the offer on the phone instead of going to the Algonquin, because he obviously knows what he's going to say, he mentions a contract. So, like, we... is... Go ahead. I was going to say, and as we know, Don does not really do commitments super well. Yeah, right? So, like, is that then part of it too, right? Like, the idea of, like, I can leave anytime I want and you can't hold you don't hold me to any kind of standard or obligation or any kind of measure of success except the one I define because mm-hmm. Don is and I think this ties in maybe to like what we can talk about the the quote that I think Annie you have down here in the the notes or, or sorry that Melissa has here in the notes um Don likes the start of things Don is really good at the start of things oh. right like the start of any relationships whether it's like in this episode, sending Betty the fur coat, whether it's what, you know, he, his starting, you know, the going to the store and, you know, being frank with Rachel Mankin about how no one's visited the store early on and things like that. That's a pitch. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. the start of the, that that relationship, right? Actually, this is where you both have things in the notes here that, that we can kind of tend to, so that's great. Um, but then you have, like, Don is in the pitch. That's, that's the start of the courtship. So then Roger says to him, oh, you're going to say, I know men like you, you're, you want to... You ask him where you want to die and in the pitch. And then Melissa, you have here in the notes that um, Don says, I've done that. And then Annie, you have in the notes where Roger says, you can't fire clients there. They have, they have stockholders and shareholders and they're accountable to those people. They pay dividends. You can't fire clients. You'll hate that. So is, is, is Don staying because of the pictures or is Don staying because like he wants to be that big fish in the little pond and he can leave or feels like he can leave at any time he wants. I think it's a combination of all of those things. I think those things are a mixture that feels comfortable to Don at this point because he can be in as much control as you can without... um, What am I looking for? Like, he has the least commitment and the most control that you could possibly have in a corporate environment. And he has also already done, like, all of the work he needs to do. (laughs) Like, at this point, he doesn't have to relearn any systems. Like, he's already, he doesn't have to be committed and he's already in charge. I think Mm -hmm. we've talked about it so many times before that being in control and being the hero and being needed is something that 
keeps coming out of Dawn again and again. And that would be so much harder to do in such a big company. It's a, like you said, the big fish in the small pond. And it kind of, at first it seems kind of cliche where afterward, you know, when he tells Roger, if I leave, it's not going to be for more advertising. I'm just going to live life. It's just, it's kind of sad that he doesn't see this as, as life. This is just a thing that he's getting through because he has to. But when you're not satisfied and you're not content, and I think this applies to, well, <laughs> pretty much maybe the entire cast, but like specifically in this episode, like Don and Betty, like that's not, that's not like no matter how much living you're actually doing, that doesn't feel like living, right? Just to go back to your whole gilded cage thing, because I hadn't thought about that until you brought it up. Coming from the perspective perspective of someone who's worked in the medical industry, who's worked as a nurse, nursing is one of like those kind of overlooked um, professions which have been traditionally female dominated, not unlike teaching, where people talk about it in these like reverend tones and you know when they do the surveys about most rest of the professions nursing is like always at the top and people you know if i mentioned being a nurse people are like "Ooh, wow that's so brave i'm like it's just a fucking job guys um there's this whole thing with like i mean the satisfaction in your job feeling proud of the job that you're doing despite that maybe you're not getting paid as much as you may or may not deserve um, getting paid more than that even or or having power over all these people and t- you know being in charge it is sometimes something that f- it sometimes feels like a way of just keeping you content with your lot even when you aren't happy or when you're frustrated or when you're trying to make things better it is it is kind of a way of containing you so like don has this constantly seeming like he wants more he's always trying to escape he got the bonus he's trying to leave for Paris with his girlfriend and to totally leave his family behind um Betty has her you know kind of wants to go into modeling go out to the city and get away from being a mom for a couple hours a day and once was able to go all over the world but then she's just like no I get to be content being a mom and I look how badass and amazing I am at it because I can cook and also um seek vengeance on this neighbor who um terrorize my kid and then you have don who's just like no i'm i'm totally cool with with sticking around with my slightly with my with my job where people have supposed integrity and i have some say and stuff and it's totally fine that i'm not running off to london with all those models it's a it's a conflicted feeling i have about that kind of thing i will say that this is the episode I think it's been hardest not to watch the next one. Yeah, this Mad Men. Good show, it turns out. I just, I want to know what is going to happen in all these complicated relationships. Mm-hmm. I want to know now. And I guess just to close the loop to answer your question, Annie, I think as a person reflecting on Don, like I do think in some ways, like how much... Don tries to control his own, like, PR and his whole, whole image and have kind of influence on, on all the different realms or, or personas. Like, I definitely connect with on, on a couple different levels. Um, what I find true about Don, but also frustrating about Don, is he feels like he's above consequences. Mm. 
mm-hmm. right? And it's like if I do a good job of playing all these different roles in all these different kind of compartments of my life, I will be fine and I will be able to keep going and there will be no kind of consequences for my actions. And I think that mentality, um, I think, rings as true today as it as it did in 2007 when this episode aired. And, I mean, obviously, like, in 1960, or the world in which Dawn lives in. Because I think within the structures of our patriarchal society that we're still living in, the idea of men being free of consequences for their actions for their and relying on society to say you know society's forgiveness or grace to say my no no you're misunderstanding my intent or you know this was consensual or no they're lying or or whatever that's i think still very true Hmm. on that happy note is there anything else you, you folks wanted to cover that we thought we should talk about in terms of the episode I have never, these are just like little odds and ends. I have never seen that uh, other than obviously when I first watched this episode, not seen that uh, footage of Jackie Kennedy speaking in Spanish. Mm. Um, I don't, it was kind of funny how the guys were very like, I'm willing to lose all the Spanish speaker voters if I don't have to deal with like whatever. Um, and I'm curious, not curious enough to actually look it up myself, apparently, um, how much people were appealing to... Uh, the non-typical white middle-class voters during these elections, these national elections, because, I mean, there was something very Obama-esque about JFK when he was running for president. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, and I think one of the things that stood out for and has stood out for me kind of throughout the season and it's becoming more and more intensified is how much the presidential election in 1960 kind of is uh, I'm going to say this and then like chastise myself later for saying it but but it's kind of like its own character in the way that like you know people are like New York in this it's a character and then the movie it's a New York movie blah 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 right Um, but like the the 1960 election kind of is becoming more and more of a of a thread throughout the throughout the season and again it was in, in this episode we have you know, Pete suggesting maybe he should be a political strategist, not, you know, a people person in an, an hmm. accounts ad. Um, with that and kind of, you know, we had, we knew that Helen Bishop was volunteering with the Kennedy campaign earlier and, mm-hmm. you know, the Nixon people coming into the office. And I think it's fair to say that the election will will happen in, in the this season, in the next four episodes or whatnot. And I think that that is something that, madman does really well is kind of like we say that the stakes for the show don't feel super high beyond the the characters lives which i mean respectfully are are important to them but kind of those those moments those those kind of flashbang moments of the macro and, and the micro of the show interacting is something that i i used to think the show did well so i'm excited to kind of go through and and see if that that still holds up for me mm. 
It is kind of interesting to think about how this show aired in the running up to the 2008 elections, regardless of what your politics were. Uh, I mean, it was that Nixon Kennedy election wasn't totally unlike John McCain versus Obama. You've got this young guy who's kind of coming out of nowhere. He's not the typical idea ideal of what people thought a president should look like or sound like. He was a Catholic, which, oh, my God, in fairness, I've known a lot of Catholics who are interesting people. But. You know, versus the old guard, the traditional guy who had a fairly decent reputation among people who served in the military, who, you know, was a part of the the system and probably spoke to a lot of the older generation who looked to like yesteryear. Uh, It's it's kind of funny to sort of relive all that time by going through the 2000 or the 1960, was it 64 election? 62? 60. 60. Yeah. Oh, woof. Uh, and it's just kind of funny because I remember people being like, McCain's getting like super desperate because he's losing the ratings. And they're talking about Nixon getting desperate and feeling the heat under the collar because he's only ahead by eight points. And it seems like the margin is closing, guys. Well, no, yeah. and like the one of the more interesting things about the 1960 election is that it was the first televised or yeah it was the first televised mm-hmm. pres- one of the te- televised presidential debates and the people that listened to it on the radio were all like oh hey nixon won and i mean okay yeah. like like picking winners and losers in debates is 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 complicated yeah. and i have complex feelings on on debates and their their role in in civil society anyways but then those who watched it on tv because nixon refused to to wear makeup and kennedy wore makeup and like they said kennedy nixon won the debate too yeah yeah exactly right so that's interesting so like in a lot of ways this election kind of because obama was on social media yeah right and just like yeah no it's your the new media yeah Yeah. that's crazy well and then then there was that was it like in episode six where they first or maybe maybe it was episode maybe it was right in the face maybe it was episode seven i think it was episode seven where they're talking about the nixon people coming in and you have that kind of generational divide between the Roger and Burton, I mean, Don doesn't apparently vote, so he wasn't engaged in this conversation. But okay. with with Pete and everyone else, I'm like, no, I, I, like, Kennedy's kind of interesting, and there's something there. And they're like, no, Richard Nixon, you know, he's only a couple years older, but he sat next to Eisenhower and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, this is like an OK Boomer conversation happening <laughs> in 1960 with, like, different generations. Um, but just, yeah, it's, it's interesting to kind of look back. I, oh, and just the way they talk about Jackie... Not totally unlike the, you know, the way they would be so super dismissive of Michelle Obama for very different reasons, but very interesting because she was, you know, she was part of the campaign too. She, they're both these, the wives were part of getting the word out and winning people over and people were finding reasons to dislike her. Like uh, Sal in his comment, I think you quoted it somewhere, Melissa, about how they would just get jealous of her. Their better looking sister marries a senator. Now he's, she's going to live in the White House. Yeah, and our sweet Sal is jealous mm-hmm. of the good-looking senator and living in the White House. I mean, we know he's, he's, a, he's a little jealous. He probably thought that JFK was pretty cute, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then Pete makes a comment about, like, oh, I recognize that uh, charm school voice or whatever it was and how he how you can't you can't govern and listen to that voice all day. I hate Pete. He, ugh, trash. I also thought it was interesting that that Peggy was the only per- or not Peggy, sorry, Betty was apparently the only person who enjoyed whatever play they went to. 
on Broadway. She's just such a nice girl. I love it. Yeah, she's trying so. She's such a good wife. That is kind of, I feel like I saw, you see that in a lot of TV shows of a a certain era where the men are like, opera, like really? I mean, you could probably enjoy it. I did like uh, Adele Hobart though. Cause like her impre- her introduction to Don is like I assume because like my husband's actually introducing me to you that you must work in advertising. Would you like to talk more about that? Because <laughs> she knows they're going to anyways. She was in on this little rigmarole that they're doing, right? Like that's what I wondered too, and how she pulls Don away to the bar, and that's when. Jim gives the card and has the like, hey, you look like Grace Kelly. You're you want to be Coca Cola's Hitchcock blonde conversation. Um, but yeah. I mean, it's nice to see a couple who are working as a team. Yeah. <laughs> True enough. <laughs> but it's just business. But uh, which is what Don says to Roger when Roger uh, confronts him about the offer from McCann. I think Don's like, hey, it's just business, and Roger's like, is it? As yeah. he's leaving? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because he's just like, don't take it personal. Or no, Roger says, I'm taking this personally just as an FYI. But I mean, at the beginning, which is like such a turn on for Don, because at the beginning, uh, he says to, to Betty when in the car when he's like, eh, I'm not a big fan of John Ho- of uh, Hobart. People like Jim Hobart only talk business because they have nothing else to say. Hmm. Oof. What do you have to say, Don? Not a lot. Like, when do we see Don having conversations? He's, uh, I would say he's a listener. And occasionally, yeah, he's more of a listener outside of work. Which I think does also make him good at his job. Mm-hmm. So we know wh- what you're looking forward to for next episode, Melissa. To see how this all falls apart afterwards. Oh, I know. What about you, Matt? Is there anything that you're looking forward to that you can talk about? Um, I guess I'll just reinforce kind of talking about before the 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 specter and the the upcoming election and how that how that will come to play and and, and influence things because I remember things like the election and then I guess spoilers for history Kennedy is assassinated in a couple of years and those kind of flashpoint moments um there's something I'm, I'm looking forward to not just seeing how the show handles them so. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is going to be exciting to see how they they deal with the historical moments, the big historical moments, especially because I can't remember any of them. <laughs> um, mostly, I would like to see more of the other women. I'd like to see more Peggy and Joan and how they're navigating this changing world and readjusting their worldviews. And I would love more Hildy. More Hildy. More Hildy. Justice for Hildy. I hope Hildy's the next person to punch someone in the face. I hope it's Pete. Where can we find you guys on the interwebs? You can find me on Twitter at at Mattyhue, M-A-T-T-Y-H-U-G-H, where I've been tweeting a lot about, you know, Oscar season and year-end lists and, unfortunately, Alberta politics. Sorry about that to all my followers. You can find me on Twitter at Mellow Yellow, which is M-E-L-L-O-L-O-Yellow. And you can find me as the co-host of the Wild Pretty Things podcast, where we talk about TV and movies and every once in a while comic books. 
Awesome. You can find me on Twitter and on Instagram, mostly on Instagram at Pop Artery, P-O-P-A-R-T-E-R-Y. Mostly I just post about like random things I see and books I'm reading. Uh, and you can also find me on the podcast, The Daily Nightly, where we cover just all of Jane Austen. We're finishing up Sense and Sensibility right now, and we're going to be watching the adaptations soon, which is really exciting. Yeah, I'm very excited about that. Well, you can find all of us together at Still Great Pod on Twitter. Um, if you like the show and you want to help us out, please rate and review us on iTunes. And tune in next time when we discuss episode 10, The Long Weekend. Okay, bye. Later days. Wait, wait, are you two having divergent opinions on Dio James? <laughs>